welcome to Estate Frequencies, a podcast that brings together space, sound and story. This episode begins at Tiong Bahru, Singapore's oldest public housing estate. I'm your host, Mark Naya. I'm also a poet, photographer and a resident of Tiong Bahru. A few things to take note of before we begin. If you're walking with us in Singapore, please prioritize your safety and comfort. Please walk on the sidewalks or five-foot ways at all times. Be aware of oncoming traffic. The homes you will pass are private residences, so please be respectful when taking photos or videos. At any time, feel free to press pause and explore your surroundings. And if you're joining us from somewhere else, please ensure you're in a safe and comfortable space before you continue. Wherever you are right now, welcome and enjoy the tour. Episode 1 ended on Tiong Bahru Road, in front of the French bookshop. This is episode 2. And to start this tour, walk along Tiong Bahru Road in the direction of Nostalgia Hotel. Cross the road at the traffic lights to Link Hotel and the Singing Bird Corner. The story of the Bird Corner starts where Nostalgia Hotel now stands. It was essentially a pet bird shop, and the owner used to hang cages of songbirds outside his premises. Interestingly, Link Hotel was part of the estate too, Block 53 to be exact. On the ground floor of what used to be Block 53 was a coffee shop called Wa Heng. The coffee shop owner was so taken by the songbirds across the road that he erected a metal structure for bird owners to hang their cages while they sipped coffee and chatted. This then became the new bird corner. It became so famous that at one point, the Dutch airline KLM even sponsored hooks, number tags, and even bird singing competitions. In 2003, when renovations were carried out to convert the former SIT, short for Singapore Improvement Trust, flats into the Link Hotel, the bird corner was put out of commission. In 2008, the owners of Link Hotel decided to reinstate the use of the space as a bird corner. But it just wasn't the same. Today, the bird cages lie silent and unused. This next poem is a reimagining of how things might have been. All the Songbirds Today, when I wake, I am 80 years old. I don't need my wife to wish me. I can feel it in my bones. Their brittle tensions, the joints that move slower than snails across the garden. I loved her less when we met, and all the more in the last few years. I think her beauty grew on me, a slow-blooming flower. I used to tingle with anticipation when she put her mottled hands over mine, that little squeeze, a peck on the cheek as we sat at the coffee shop for a late tea before going home. I sleep alone now. It is a different routine. Today, when I wake, I hear her whispers from my dreams. She says, John, today you must take Sasha to sing. Remember to give her caterpillars. Does the aquarium shop in Singapore still sell bird feed? Then we can go and have a porridge at Achyang's afterwards. I haven't seen Tiong for so long. You told me he just bought a budgie? Can sing or not? If not, we can always eat it for lunch. I read they eat songbirds in Italy, you know. And she would laugh. 
a lilt of marble and sunlight. Today, when I wake, beneath an array of brand new hooks, I remember older, rustier stories that held the bamboo cages of birds, the notes of early morning industry and evening romance, soft kisses whispering on the breeze to tables of serious men with brill cream hair, Marlboro heart packs sagging their breast pockets. Each one carried the cages here, carefully hooded like bullion or shadowed diamonds. The birds inside quiet with the trill of excitement. Today, when I wake, I slip my feet into crocs, a gift from my son, but ugly as sin, I have said a prayer for them. Slowly, I cross the road to the market, past girls in skin-tight desires sagging home after another night at Tiananmen KTV. Sasha died soon after they tore down the block to build a hotel. They promised to rebuild the singing bird corner close by, but no one ever came back. The birds choked on their own melodies. Today, when I wake, I remember I am bird of your flesh, beak of your breath, an uncommon call, a wind of wings. My love is hoarse, it is empty of joy, it is the waiting chair at this table for two. My love, you were gone ten years now, flown into an everlasting night. I would cry, but all the songbirds have been eaten. Cross the road back to Nostalgia Hotel. Walk down Singpo Road until you see Tiong Baru Market diagonally across from you. Cross the road and look for a shrine in front of the market. This is a shrine dedicated to Datuk Kong or Tuti Kong, a local guardian spirit. But just who is this Datuk Kong? Here's citizen historian Victor Yue to tell us more. So Victor, what are some of the more traditional forms that Datukong is presented as? Actually, from what I know, in the old days, the belief of Datukong is so-called like the native spirit. Of course, most people say that it's more from the Malay world because Singapore and Malaysia are all part of the Malay world. And anything natural is considered Datukong because the spirits can be in the trees, the spirit can be in the stones. And if you look at the early days, like even the coffee shops in Gelang or even big seafood place, you find that they put a stone down there and say, okay, Okay, this Tatukong. Is it only natural things like stones or trees? Could it also be people? Yeah. Uh, actually, once I, I went to visit one Datukong temple in, the, I think, Ramputan Road, and he told me that that Datukong seems to be somebody who actually lived and died in Malacca. And they actually make a trip all the way to this village and they found a tomb. So it is possible. And in Malaysia, there's a lot of uh, discussion about even some royal person who is Datukong. So in Tiong Bahru, the Datukong Shrine is located at the foot of Tiong Bahru Market. Do you have any thoughts about why it's located there and maybe the significance of the shrine for the estate? I think if you look around, uh, any wet market, hawker centres, they will always have a 
to the Kong. And uh, usually because they also have the seven-month festival, after that, in, they will set an altar for the uh, what's called Good Brothers and inside may have two dekong, may have other deities like Kuan Yin. Some of them might believe that, okay, you know, we need to put one for Datokong. And this is very interesting. I'm still trying to ask around, you know, anybody know the history of the Datokong in Tiongbaru? And uh, like yesterday, I went to interview this Datokong temple in Tampines. And sometimes like somebody have a dream and say, okay, Datokong wants you to set up something there. And so they just go about setting there. And in that small community, you know, say, you know, it's basically for the well-being of the whole community, right? Everybody will join in. So I think if you look at the Datokong in Tiongbaru, I think the position they said is very, very nice because everybody sees it. And Datokong to Tikong are places whereby it's not only the storeholders who will come pray, it's also the customers. Dato is a poem written specifically for this shrine. Dato Older than any tree you can see my roots go deeper, beneath the concrete, the cantilevered shades and curved corners of this neighbourhood, older than the friendly spirits who clamber onto the roofs when the moon is a sickle in the sky. I go deeper, beneath the graves, now fragments of memory and bone, under the tricky swampland and vain attempts to thread a road between the slums to the sea. My stories are faded fabrics, clearer when I could chew tobacco and smoke palm cigarettes on cool evenings. But the world has changed too much. Strangers walk by without saying hello. So how do I bring a blessing when you no longer know my name and I will never know yours. Take the escalator up to the food centre on the second floor of Tiongbaru Market. Walk among the tables and find a seat to observe the bustle. Opened in 2006, this market is a direct descendant of the Singpo Road Market, opened in 1951. Built from wood with distinctive zinc roofing it had a triangular layout with multiple entrances. The market also functioned as a communal gathering place for residents. One of the earliest and most important meetings held at the Singpo Road Market was in March 1951, when the town agreed to establish a community centre for Tiongbaru. Scattered at intervals in the food centre are numerous drink stalls, almost all of them will serve local coffee, also known as kopi. This poem is a celebration of that. Coffee Shop Talk On their long journeys to Southeast Asia, the Portuguese brought with them Arabica coffee, roasted and sugar-coated to seal the flavour. But with no express shipping, they soon exhausted their supplies. The local Malays filled this niche with their own robusta beans, fired in large woks over charcoal and mimicked the Portuguese, caramelising the coffee in molten sugar. They filtered the grounds with a piece of cloth like sand through an hourglass, birthing kopi from the slow drip of a sock. Drink it black, or with milk that takes the edge off its bitter, heavy body, masking the intensity or drink it as it is, this deep-tongued reach of Robusta now fired in butter. 
The roots of milk and sugar came from Ipoh in the north. Back then, fresh milk was impossible to keep, so Nanyang Kopi sipped its way south to Singapore as yet another migrant story. Over 200 kopitiams sprung up in the 1920s, run by the Hainanese, late arrivals to the city. They added maize and margarine to lower costs and created a distinct profile, poured at the perfect escape velocity from the spout. Rows of cups preloaded with a heaped spoon of milk. Who we are is in the black swirl of kopi strained through a sock that cannot be worn, the sock that slips into no shoe, yet generations of beans have slipped through its sole. And kopi is not complete without its companions, half-boiled eggs and kaya butter toast, both sweet and savoury, like our national identity. Kopi is a pause in the morning to sip. The latest news is gossip. The latest gossip is news. Kopi is a cup that holds our collective memory, poured out deftly with practice, fueling us for days and years to come. One of the stalls in Tiong Baru Market that stands out is the Prata Shop in the Yellow Zone. You'll know what zone you're in if you look up at the ceiling. Several Prata stalls have come and gone in the market, and there was even a Prata man along Enghun Street back in the day. When Shayed, or Brother, as so many of us address him, opened the stall, it was to the huge relief of many residents. Finally, a Prata man. And he makes a mighty fine biryani too. Syed, how long have you been in Tiong Bahru? Uh, how many years? More than 30 years I stay here, Tiong Bahru area. Is that why you decided to open uh, your stall in Tiong Bahru Market? Actually, uh, last time I got a stall at the Tiong Bahru opposite, got a coffee shop, right? So uh, last time I have the shop. Uh, now no more already because of the quota system cannot get. So I go other place and do something. Uh, Holland Drive, Thompson Medical Center, Bukit Bukit East Avenue Four. I got a lot of shop last time. Now all leave it ready. I take a Tumbaru Market. So good, good place because I stay nearby only. So what year did you open your shop in the market? 2019, 2018 last I think. Have you faced any challenges working here in the Tumbaru Market? No, nothing. I, I got very good. I smoke it until now. I working uh, like food business only. So thirteen years until now, I working uh, food business. So I nothing okay. Everything good so far. But you work very hard. You have yeah. very long hours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, morning is now is a little bit okay. Last time all uh, uh sixteen seventeen hours I working. Now I work at twelve thirteen hours. <laughs> Three hours I gonna rest or so. That's still a lot. Yeah, uh, earn money very difficult. I must pay everything. I got three kids. My wife are not working, so I must cover everything. What's your favorite dish to make, or what do you think is your best dish? My favorite is a prata. I know how to do prata. Uh, Thirteen years uh, I come here to work uh, this the food business. So at uh, the first, I taking the prata making only because of my grandfather's shop. After that, my father's shop. After that, I my own shop. So three generation is a food business only we doing. So prata is a okay for me. Do you have a rest day? Actually, no rest day. I not feeling only. Uh, 
got rest. If not, I'm, I cannot take a rest. So you feel like you you need to keep working every day. Yes, I must pay everything. I got a housing loan, car loan. My children all three studying. My children got insurance. Uh, my own self spending money. My wife spending money. That's all. A lot must pay, so I must earn a bit. If not, cannot run a family. Do you feel like this will get better, or do you think this is going to be, you know, your life for a while? Actually, a bit very hard also, very difficult also. What to do? Because my children are small kids. My wife also cannot go work, so nobody take care of my children. So must survive. If you're hungry and Chayat's stall is open, have a prata or three. Once you're done, please go down the escalators, cross the road and head right down Seng Po Road, one of the main thoroughfares of the estate. Seng Po Road was known as the main street of Mei Ren War, a Chinese phrase meaning nest of beauties. In the 1950s, the street on most evenings was full of trishaws taking singers and hostesses to cabarets and the Great World Amusement Complex. Rich men kept their mistresses and third wives in Tiong Baru. After midnight, the men would arrive in their big American cars and leave before sunrise. Singpo Road was named after Tan Singpo, a successful straits Chinese businessman. He made a fortune processing Indian opium for local and overseas distribution. The roads in this area pay tribute to other successful 19th century Chinese businessmen. Singpo Road intersects with Eng Hun Street, named after Ko Eng Hun, a wealthy trader originally from Malacca. Si Eng Wat and Ku Tiong Po earned their fortunes in shipping, while tycoons like Xia Yu Chin and Si Mo Guan made theirs in pepper and gambia plantations. As you mosey down Singpo Road, see if you can find unit number 0133 on the ground floor. It's just at the small junction of Singpo Road and Singpo Lane. 0133 was the site of Pinpin Piaoke, a provision shop, which was run by third-generation store owner Rodney Go. This was the go-to convenience store in the estate before the likes of 7-Eleven came along. Rodney, what are some things you like about Tiong Baru? Tiong Baru is the market. I can get everything here. It's like my kitchen for the past 57 years. And all my children also. After school, they come back. I just pass them $2. They can go up there and choose what they want to eat. So they got a, a freedom of choice for the menu. When did Pimpin Piaoke start? And when did you take over the business from your father? It started in 1938 when my grandfather came from China. During the time... There were about 5,000 provisions all over Singapore. And during the World War, you know, because of the Japanese occupation, we couldn't operate. And after the war, my grandfather restarted again. And then in 1949, brought my father over from China to help him run the business. He was running two provision shops and he couldn't manage. And then asked my father to come over. So during the 1950s, there were about six to 7,000 uh, provision shops, some run by Malays, Indians, and Chinese. And in the 1970s, a lot of uh, people was employed in Jurong, in the industrial estate. Then the provision shop, there were problems to engage workers. So they got to go uh, self-service. 
So that's why they have the Econ Minimart. And then we were the pioneer to start the Econ Minimart uh, system. Now. I took over the business from my father in 1982 to date. So it ended up in 41 years. So in the 41 years you've been here, how have you seen Tiong Baru estate change? Okay, for the past 41 years, I've seen a lot of changes. We go back 15 years ago. 15 years ago, this place was like a retirement village. You hardly see young people around. So you see a lot of old folks, they still stay in their old flat. And then the government allowed all these uh, cafe to come in, hopefully to bring the younger crowd. And it was successful after that. And then the younger people come for their designer coffee and the cafes sprouting all over the place, like 40 Hands, Flock and Tomaru Bakery. And now the parents all pass on and then the children, they move out. They have their own home. Now Tomaru, they command a very high rental. So Ronnie, when would be the last day for the shop? My last day for the shop will be 31st March 2023. During the 1980s, business was good because we don't have so much competition from all the supermarket. And now with the mega mart, now they have so many players in the field. And then now it's a sunset industry. So also it's a good time for me to sit back and retire and relax. Pin Pin Piaoke was a fine example of the provision shop of yore that was an important community node, Quite aside from selling essentials like rice and bread and brooms and mops, the provision shop was a place where illiterate folk could get important administrative tasks done, like basic postal services and form filling. In Rodney's case, he delivered groceries to elderly and less mobile residents who didn't know how to order groceries online. Thank you, Rodney, for your dedication to the residents of Tiong Bahru. I invite you now to cross Singpo Road again, via left, and walk towards Singpo Garden, which we'll explore in the next episode. Due to redevelopment, some of the roads have become pedestrianised and others, along with the names of famous philanthropists, have been expunged altogether. And while the estate itself has remained more or less unchanged, its environs have morphed and risen all around, making the estate feel like a time capsule, one that's living on borrowed time. Thank you for listening to Estate Frequencies. To continue your tour of Tiong Bahru, please stream episode 3 and you can carry on your walk from where you are. Estate Frequencies, Tiong Bahru is written and narrated by Mark Nair and produced by Carolyn Wee. Sound design, recording and post-production by Saturn Sound Studio. This project is supported by the National Heritage Board, Our Singapore Fund and Singapore Residence Committee. This podcast was recorded in 2023 and all the conversations you hear in it were recorded in Tiong Bahru Estate. I'm Mark Nair, and I wish you a lovely heritage-filled day ahead. <laughs>